0: provide some highly opinionated rants on all aspects of endurance sports, and my current favorite, obstacle course racing. Now sit tight, grab a cup of coffee, and let's do this. All right, guys, I'm back, and it is just after the 4th of July, 2018, and I have my dear friend, Matt Fitzgerald, back with me. He's cranked out another book on the 80-20 principle of training, and it's obviously entitled 80-20 Triathlon. And the subtitle says, Discover the Breakthrough, Elite Training Formula for Ultimate Fitness and Performance at All Levels. Matt, say hello to the folks.
1: Howdy. Great to be back.
0: You know, I have you back a lot. Sick of me? No, I'm not. Actually, I'm not. You know, it's it's sometimes it's tough to get a decent conversation going. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I know that whenever you and I get together, we, we have fun with it and... Uh, I think a lot of people appreciate the information we we spill out for them. So, yeah, I love having you back. It's always great to have you back.
1: Good. I'm not tired of me yet. So.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I I got tired of myself a long time ago, and so I'm always shopping for somebody to be the the wingman or wingwoman in this thing, so that they could you know kind of shine me up a little bit. But it's just like when you're all bruised and beaten. It just it just is what it is, right? So. I'm, I'm glad you're here to glossing up the situation.
1: Is that even a word?
0: No, probably not. <laughs> you would know. I mean, you're the, you're the wordsmith here.
1: That's right. I know all the words.
0: So I saw that you had a really, really well done forward by Dr. Steven Seiler. Yes. And you and I have discussed his work many times. Now, a lot of people coming back to me and say, hey, do you see this thing that this guy does, Steven Seiler, wrote about all these elite athletes and how effective they're training and la, 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 and they want to send me the, the PDF file. I'm like, yeah, dude, I saw it, I saw it. But at the end of the day, I love that you've taken this application and you've put it to work, you put it to work for marathon training, and um, uh, clearly it has a, its place in triathlon because I think commonly the mistake with most triathletes is they're hammerheads, right? Yeah. Triathletes have a tendency to go out hard. Everything they do is hard. And I think a lot of it stems from when they hit the pool. You know, you go into the pool and you're doing these repeats. Uh, and commonly there's not much ability to monitor heart rate in a circumstance like that. So it's all pace-driven, distance-driven. And go out hard, 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 hard. Take it right out on the bike. Go hard, 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 hard. And then... I guess the natural progression is when they go out and run, they do the same thing. So they're not really going to get the kind of payback that they're hoping for.
1: yes, um yeah, in in the book, I actually uh, I list no fewer than, well, exactly eight eight reasons that that people tend to get stuck in what I call the moderate intensity rut. so um there there are a lot of barriers to it's such a simple concept, you know, doing 80% of your training at low intensity is kind of proven to be the most effective way to build endurance fitness. And that's what the pros do. And that's what almost nobody else does. And so the question is, why Why not? Um, and I think there, there are a lot of reasons, you know, uh, you just adduced a couple of them, you know, buy-in is a huge one, you know, because it, it is counterintuitive. Um, then you have what I call the Strava effect, you know, where um, you know, even your private training is public now and you want to show off a bit. So that's another incentive to push too hard. So there's there's all these reasons, um, which could be bad news from one perspective, because there's all these all these inducements to going too hard. But it's also good news because if you just become the one who starts following the 80-20 rule, you're going to have a leg up on everyone else because they're facing all these barriers to training more effectively. So I think that's that's the way to... To look at it as something you can turn to your advantage.
0: You know, something I just thought of while you were talking about this is that now that I'm an old man, I find it difficult to really throw down running. I can't approach intensities that I once could, but I can on the bike. Do you think that the application, if I was to suggest that I'm going to try to put my intensity on the bike and then get most of my base running on foot, do you think that that would work?
1: Yeah. I, I think that there, there are, um, it's interesting if, if you look at elite triathletes, um, and how they train, they follow the 80, 20 rule, not only with their overall combined swim, bike, and run training, but they also do it in each individual discipline. So 80% of their swimming is at low intensity, same with cycling, same with running. But you know, there can be situations where you might not, uh, it might not be best for you individually, to do that, to do it that way. So, you know, age could be one of them. Um, or just, you know, you might have, uh, like right now I I have a a groin injury that prevents me from doing, um, any fast running. I can run as far as I want right now, but only slowly. So if I want to get the benefits of doing high intensity training, I have to do them outside of running. So that's another uh, circumstance where you absolutely do, you know, there are universals that apply to everyone because they're, You know, we're all human, Uh, but you also, you have to individualize your training as well and and make it uh, optimal for you.
0: So you uh, kind of, I don't want to say turned your back, but you kind of made a shift in your approach to training. Now you're, you have a vendetta with triathlon. You're coming back to try to, 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 uh, take care of some businesses that, (laughs) is that what's going on?
1: Yeah. I mean, I did a, a bunch of triathlons. I was heavy into it, uh, from 1998 through about 2003, um, and then got back into it, uh, just b- briefly in 2009. But the one Ironman triathlon I did, um, I missed a qualifying slot for the Hawaii Ironman, the world championship by 23 seconds. Oh! <laughs> so that's the unfinished business that, um, you know, I've been wanting to, um, you know, and it was my first Ironman. So I made all kinds of mistakes and you know those 23 seconds were there to be had for sure. Um and of course, you know, the, the sport has only gotten more competitive, but I, I know that I'm athlete enough to do it. I just um haven't haven't done it. You know, it's it's all a bunch of talk until you do it. So yeah, I'm uh, that that is my goal. Um I take my time about it. Um but eventually yeah, I'd like to claim punch my ticket to Kona.
0: Are you gonna try to get that done this year?
1: No um yeah i have a couple i mentioned the groin thing and i'm just a broken down old man but i also anytime i uh since 2009 anytime i try and do some serious cycling i get a a right knee thing uh Uh, so i'm trying to um i I know it's not like a huge thing because i've been able to you know i can run i can lift weights i can do anything else it's got to be some kind of setup deal yeah um so yeah I'll, i'll get a good professional fitting I have my eye on someone in the Portland area who's also a physical therapist. I think that's what I need, someone who knows bodies as well as he knows bikes.
0: Have, um, you, have you been fitted before?
1: No. I'm, well, I've had uh, sort of kind of ad hoc fittings, but, but not, you know, uh, the real full-on soup to nuts. Yeah. Uh, that yeah. makes
0: a big difference, buddy. Yeah. Uh, I had a guy out of uh, Washington. And he was probably one of the most respected fitters that, I, that I've that i heard of. And I got a hold of him. And I and I said, look, dude, I said, you know, the weather where you live sucks. Come on down to Southern California, man. I got a nice little guest house. I'm going to put you up. I got a pool. You know, we'll go out and have a couple of martinis or something. I said, but we're going to mind melt. I need you for about four days to, to show me how to do this. Because I, I figured out that the bike fit for triathlon was such a big deal. Yes. You know, if you don't have that right, nothing's right. You know, yep. I would tell people there's no sense in even me doing a VO2 test on you if we don't have you on the bike properly. And uh, so I did that with him and, and uh, Paul Paul Swift. Do you know, you heard of Paul Swift? Yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and the, the dude's a grip. He's, you know, he's, I think he was an alternate on the Olympic team behind in Team Pursuit the black guy that, that was won a silver medal. What the heck was his name? Anyway, see what happens when you get older? You don't remember yeah. anything. I just have this kind of a fog that just hangs over <laughs> a lot of really great information. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I, I learned uh, I learned to fit from him. And uh, I quit fitting people simply because it's a lot of work. Yeah. I, I just found that like, you know what? This is not me. If I had somebody stand by me and I say, okay, get greasy and make this happen, this happen, this happen, and right. I'll just point, then I'm in. But, uh, you know, it just kills the profit. Yeah. But anyway, so you're, you're going to do another Iron Man. And I'm assuming that all through this, writing this book and what have you, you've been following these principles and probably assimilating this, this ratio of 80% base-specific work in each of the applications and 20% intensity.
1: Yeah. I mean, this is, this is very fresh. Like I've only started swimming and uh, cycling again within the last, well, I'm always on the bike like every now and then, but like regular three times a week, um, swimming and cycling. It's only been a few weeks. Um, so yeah, I have, I've just, I'm really just trying to get my, my swimming arms back and my cycling legs back. But yeah, you know, I'm, you know, people sometimes casually assume that, I don't practice what I preach. <laughs> I tell I tell other people to slow down to get faster, but I don't do that myself. But I actually do. I I, I actually do practice what I preach. So yeah, that's uh that that will be my approach. I mean, because I, I want I don't want to waste my time. That's really what the 8020 principle is about. It's not really necessarily an argument for training more, that's always an option, but it's really just about making the best use of however much time you have. To train um, and I, I want to do the same because I have a pretty steep goal you know even in my age group I'm 47 um, it's very competitive so I, I'm gonna have to beat some really strong athletes and that means I can't dick around with my training I've got right. to I've got to train right
0: so let's define this this setup now we talk about aerobic or low intensity and moderate intensity and high intensity and you, you speak at great length about how you define those parameters. But just for the audience' sake, let's kind of talk about that a little bit.
1: Yeah, so the the crucial sort of demarcation line is at what is known as the ventilatory threshold. Uh, and this comes from research by Stephen Seiler, the guy who, the discoverer, as it were, is the, of the 80-20 rule and the forward writer, for my book, and and what he what he found is that uh, so the, the ventilatory threshold is um, an exercise intensity at which there's an abrupt spike in ventilate ventilation or breathing. So you know as your exercise in- intensity increases from rest to you know just incrementally going faster and faster. Initially, your breathing increases linearly at a slow, steady rate. rate but at a certain intensity, for the you know there's individual variation for but for the average trained endurance athlete it's somewhere around 77 70 percent of maximum heart rate there, there's a spike there and what the reason for that spike is that um there's a, a, an abrupt point where your brain starts to recruit more uh, fast twitch of muscle fibers and it's like it, it is a threshold it's a true physiological threshold It's like flipping a switch where that just begins to happen and once you cross that line um, because your brain is much more active in recruiting, uh, type two muscle fibers, it's more, it becomes like, there's a, there's a kind of a quantum jump in how stressful the exercise is to your nervous system. So if you're just below that threshold, and this is not a high intensity, you know, 70, 78% of maximum heart rate is, it's not lollygagging, but it's, it's, it's a moderate intensity. It's not a high intensity, but if you're just below that line, uh, the ex- you're going to need a lot less time to recover than if you exercise just over that line. So just it's a little difference makes a big difference in terms of that threshold. And, and, what, and what the problem is, is that the average person, if you just tell them to go out and, and run for 30 minutes, they will naturally choose an intensity that is above the ventilatory threshold. So it's only marginally, you know, more beneficial in terms of imposing stress um, to be above that threshold, but it's a lot more um, stressful. So you need a lot more recovery from it. So uh, it's a dangerous line. So that's the one you need to know. So by so by this definition, any exercise effort that is below the vent- ventilatory threshold is low intensity. And then there's a second ventilatory threshold, basically you know, VO2 max, um, that occurs at a much higher intensity. And that is the borderline between moderate and, and high intensity.
0: Wow. Now, when you talk about ventilatory threshold, I compare that to what's referred to as V-slope in testing, Yep. where the carbon dioxide production takes a, takes a, a jump, and generally because you're, you're respirating much heavier than you were moments ago. Yep. And now what I try to do when I prescribe heart rate to people is I look at the respiratory quotient and look at the beats per minute relative to the calories and where those calories are coming from. So I find typically when I prescribe aerobic conditioning to people, it's probably going to be even more or less intense than what you're speaking of. Because I know that anywhere near that V-slope for most people, uh, assuming they're trained, the percentage of fat versus sugar at that point in the road is probably about I want to say about 30 percent fat and the the balance coming from sugar, which from a standpoint of prescription, I don't know that I like them there. So do you usually have them, well, you break it up into seven zones, right? So in your zone treatment, where would you kind of sit from a standpoint of the, the stimulus you're after is aerobic conditioning?
1: Yeah. So, yeah. So someone who's maybe having a tough time buying into this concept, they, they, they might they might say okay I need to be below this ventilatory threshold but I want to be just below it like yeah. I want to use every inch that I'm allowed and you know that too is intuitive it's like you know because I'm going to get more benefit right uh, not necessarily
0: um, that's a bad so, move
1: y- yeah it, it sort of depends like I, I have found and some of these questions are a little bit unanswered um, but what I have found is that less fit individuals often have almost no choice but to be pretty close to that threshold um because you know as soon as they're moving they're 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 close to moderate intensity like i agree with you yeah they just don't have a lot of room to work with and and that's okay it usually gets better as you get fitter your low intensity range expands as you get fitter but some people are never going to have a ton of room to work with i also think that if you're a very high volume athlete that um whether you're, whether you're fast or not, if you're, if you're training at high volume, you probably want to do, you know, if you're just doing, you know, miles and miles, hours and hours of low intensity training, you want a buffer there as well. So I think it sort of depends on how much volume you're doing. Like, you know, these, these pro runners I trained with in Flagstaff last year, you know, the males, you know, two twelve marathoners are running seven minute miles for their easy runs which is way below their regulatory right. threshold. Right. And why are they doing that? Because they're running 130 miles a week. Right. Uh, you know, so it's to that for them it's more beneficial to keep that volume up and do what's necessary intensity wise to be able to handle that volume.
0: Right. And I agree with you completely. I I, I could tell you that when I test people the less fit people like you suggested almost anything they do pushes them up on that ventilatory threshold or above it. And so what I look at in prescription initially, and it may be just for a matter of a few weeks, is discounting that completely and going after the intensity to try to get their fitness up and then back them down again once we get a little fitness under their belt. Yeah. And so the people that I work with that go long, I liken it to um, Dracula. You know, when when the light comes out, they're just, ah, they can't take it. So anything anywhere near your lactate threshold, they they start to burn up, you know, they start, it's like the sun hit them, they start burning up. But they got this profound aerobic potential as long as they're in that wheelhouse where they, you know, they're chumming along at this pace that they're accustomed to. And they they can do that all day long, but you ask them to throw down a little bit and it's so foreign to them that it becomes problematic. So getting back to the way you ratio this out, you're not suggesting someone might listen to this and think 80% really, really easy. And how in the hell is that going to make me better? But the truth of the matter is, is that when you do visit intensity, you visit it with some gusto. And we're doing that to improve the fitness potential in the, in the, the scheme of things. And you have it kind of partitioned off so that you're really actually getting a pretty decent buffet uh, of work, yeah. right? It's not like you know, all of it, you're just going to crawl out of bed and crawl into your workout and crawl back in bed, (laughs) right?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's all too easy to kind of caricature this approach and, and, and turn 80, 20 into 100, zero. It's like, oh, (laughs) that's the guy who says never go fast. It's like, no, uh, I'm telling you to go fast. One out of every five minutes you train, like that's, that's significant, you know? Right. Um, and the thing about the moderate intensity rut is that it's just that. It's not a high intensity rut. So most people who you know go too hard in their training, they never go really hard, you know because they're they're trying to make every single session count. And the only way you can make that survival survivable is to to never really push the envelope in intensity. But with my approach, you do. you know if you correct the first mistake, which is to make your your easy efforts truly easy, then you've got some pretty fresh legs or arms as the case may right. be to go hard when it's time to, and you'll perform better in those sessions. They'll be more fun. You'll sort of develop a taste for them. Um, and then you, then you got some real momentum behind you.
0: So something I used to do and I've kind of governed it back and, and you know, truth be told, I didn't read your book cover to cover. I, I kind of, you know, like I always do, I, I go to the parts I like, right. Mm-hmm. Because I'm not going to do another triathlon. I don't care how much you pay me. <laughs> um, but What I used to do is when I prescribed workouts, I would say, okay, today's aerobic day. And this is how much time I want you to spend like this. And now I've kind of, I've kind of come to a place where from a standpoint of organizing work, I may say, okay, I'm going to have you at X heart rate for 45 minutes. And then we're going to, we're going to start, you know, doing some tempo oriented work. We're going to start punching you up to particular heart rate. Uh, I might govern the top end, govern the low end. But they're going to get that sampling of over threshold type training in conjunction with their base training. But at the end of the week, if you looked at it, the ratios still bust out to be about like you're suggesting. They're going to be defined as more preferentially aerobic and very governed anaerobic work. Yeah. Do you do that?
1: Uh, it it depends. Um, with I mean. So I have, you know, ready-made triathlon, uh, training plans in, in, in the new book. Um, and those tend to be, uh, well, there is a little bit of that. Um, I tend to do more of it when I'm individually coaching an athlete. Um, and I, I kind of can manipulate, uh, their training at a much more granular level. Right. Uh, and I also do a little bit more of it in my own training, right. uh,
0: well, it's easier to say, okay, today's aerobic, tomorrow's not, right? Um, and I guess if it's a template, that makes perfect sense. And yeah, I,
1: if you're if you're trying to make something well, one size fits fits all, which you can't, <laughs> but you, you you have to make you have to make things simple uh, in order to even get close to one size fits all.
0: And so, at the end of the day, it's not going to be one size fits all anyway, because you're governing the work relative to heart rate intensities and. Uh, in the case of bike, I think you're assume, you're going to look at power and such and such, right? So it's it's always going to be relative to the individual's capacity. It's not going to be like he said, go 50 miles, and I just went 50 miles.
1: Right? Yeah. I mean, the the two ways you customize with the you know the the ready-made training plans is a you choose the right plan. <laughs> right. Because there's more than one. And then B, yes, you you define intensity zones that reflect your current fitness levels. You're not you're not doing anyone else's training. You you do yours. Um, so we, you know, there is a chapter in the book where we we walk people through the entire process of like how to create a custom training plan. We don't expect many people, you know, especially you know the more beginner segment, to actually do that. But I think it's worthwhile, even if you do follow you know, one of our plans to understand how they're made, because there is going to be a, there are going to be points when you're executing a a plan where you're going to have to make decisions, you know, it's like, you know, geez, I'm my knees sore, or, or, you know, I think I feel a cold coming on or whatever, you know, surprises are going to come up. And then you need to have a set of principles of training that you kind of understand you can course correct as you go. That'll just allow you to get more out of the plan, even though it's not a plan you created.
0: So there was something in here in the research that you did, or research that you that you shared, where you talked about the ramifications of too much high-intensity training and its effect on your thyroid. And I thought that was pretty interesting. I never really had anybody spill that off to me. I mean, it makes perfect sense to me. But can you shine some light on that a little bit about the difference between? making a concerted effort to ensure that you're getting the aerobic stimulus you, you need versus the high intensity training all the time?
1: Yeah. So, you know, there, 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 have been some interesting studies done where they will have, you know, a bunch of athletes follow the 80, 20 rule or train with more intensity, um, or sometimes less. Um, and then they look at who improves more and, you know, people tend to, athletes tend to improve more when they do the 80-20 thing, excuse me, versus, you know, more more intensity. Um, and then, so the question is, well, why? You know, why does, you know, putting in more intensity seem to take people over a cliff? Um, and what some of that research is showing, where they sort of, you know, look under the hood, uh, so to speak, is that um, it, it is a, a kind of... An, an endocrine imbalance because if you're, it starts with your nervous system. You're just, you're, you're, you're stressing it more. You need more recovery. But if you're going to go hard again the next day, you're not getting that recovery. And then, you know, your, your endocrine, your hormonal system has to kick in to try to, uh, you know, restore homeostasis. It just, you know, when you're just constantly exposing your body to more, you know, physical stress than it can really handle, uh, you know, certain, um, Glands like the thyroid have to go into overdrive to try to get you to recover fast, but you know there's only so much capacity there. So this stuff becomes measurable. You know, if you have athletes who have done have sort of overcooked themselves with high intensity, and you see it in their performance, and then you you know take blood samples, uh, you can see it. You can see you know exactly why they have gone over the cliff
0: that's important i think that uh we're kind of cross-pollinating sports here a little bit because i know a lot of my audience are ocr but the the tendency to do i want to cuss i don't want to cuss uh, <laughs> the spartan the f up is what they like to say all the time you know and and you know it's just like going hard all the time expecting that it's going to end up well it's just a bad idea and it's funny because you know the the, where, where this really kind of comes from, I think, is way back in the day when Phil Maffetone came out and started banging the drum about how, and I, I know uh, before we even had this conversation, I thought whether I should even bring it up, but I'm bringing it up anyway. But when Maffetone talked about claiming fame for the work he did with Mark Allen and suggested that he basically got Mark Allen to start doing aerobic training and all of a sudden he started having success. But they started really banging the drum about his, him staying aerobic all the time and his time started dropping. He got down to like a five minute pace, sustainable five minute pace and never did any speed work. And I, I have a hard time believing that that's the case. And so here comes the drum roll. Do you believe that he avoided speed work and was able to achieve what he achieved?
1: All right, you got me on dangerous ground. <laughs> I know I did. And that's
0: why I said I was thinking maybe I shouldn't do it. But if you don't want to answer it, it's fine. But let me
1: well, hear... I ahead. mean, I, I have the same reaction because, you know, you know we've probably you know, just read the same things. Um, and it, I mean, if you're experienced, it, it, you, yeah, I had the same reaction. It's like, how is that even possible? It's uh, not
0: possible. So, right. Okay. Let me say it for you. It's just not possible. I mean, you know, at the end, because listen, I have people that come to me with this all the time, and if I see something I like and I think it works, I talk about it. I'll sell it. I'll sell it all day long if I think it works. I don't care where it came from, and I'll give credit to where credits due. You know, I think Maffetone's formula, uh, when he first came out with this concept of 180 subtract your age kind of thing, it clearly puts people aerobic. It's conservative. But, you know, at the end of the day, if, if everything you've done is over threshold all the time, you go out and beat yourself to death over and over and over again, you find this this wonderland once you start getting some aerobic influence in your life. Right. But at the same token, there comes a point in the road where you have to throw down, you have to bust it out in order to find those fast twitch fibers and what have you and develop the myocardium strength and what have you that's going to allow you to punch out those paces and and not only punch them out but even create sustainability. You know you can't you can't run along at a 10 minute mile pace and come marathon day expect that you're going to throw down a seven minute mile. You're not going to do it. And that's just me talking. So I mean if unless you feel like there's another way to go, let me know because I'm definitely around that 10 minute mile pace and love to have a seven.
1: Yeah, I think the mistake that a lot of, you know, even very smart and experienced people make is to isolate one piece of the endurance fitness puzzle and treat it as the be all end all. Um, And people do that in all kinds of ways. So, you know, Phil Mappetone is very focused on metabolism, which is hugely important to endurance fitness and performance, but it is not the whole puzzle. Uh, So... You know, I'm, I'm thinking of a, a study that was done recently that um, that, that I wrote about in a, in a blog post that showed that some of the benefit that comes from adding high-intensity interval training you know, and layering, layering that on top of your aerobic stuff is that it actually – well, it, it's always been, it, it's long been known that high-intensity training increases performance more than the actual physiological changes can justify and it appears what this study found is the reason is that it increases pain tolerance. <laughs> wow. So, you know, just independent of fitness, you can just, you can handle some more suck if you've, if you've just gone out and push the whipped, suck. Yeah. You know, whipped your own high. Yeah. Well, that's completely outside of like, you know, Mafetone being all about uh, meta- metabolism doesn't even think about pain tolerance. So you, you really have to look at the whole puzzle to avoid, you know, kind of any sort of lopsided training approach.
0: Well, and the other end of it is, uh, I looked at Joe Frail's book, uh, Fast After 50. I don't know if you looked at it, but
1: I spoke- i spoke not 50 at, yet, I'm, I'm waiting. No,
0: I know, but I spoke at great length with him about that. And he sells the, you know, and he, you, know, you know, I mean, he's like 74, 75 years old now, and uh, he's still out there cranking it out. But he, he talked about the importance of spending an appreciable amount of time anaerobic when you get older, because that's the element that you're going to lose. You're going to lose your fitness as you get older. And so that is absolutely part of the equation. You cannot just kind of divorce yourself from the intensity and expect that because you're at this low uh, aerobic, you know, life-giving, life-saving metabolism situation, that that's going to win the day. It just won't. To your respect, the thing that's missing in most people's programming is they are not getting anywhere near enough aerobic stimulation in their training and so they're in this what i call a kind of a lactate paradox they're just kind of stuck in the mud all the time yeah and so yeah i think uh essentially governing it back and and it's the ratios and i think you did a really good job showing how to pair it out where you this is how much time you're going to spend here this is how much time you're going to spend here and this is
1: why Well,
0: thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. But, you know, you you get what I'm saying. It's like I I see, you know, I'm a student of the thing. You know, I I look at what guys are saying to other people about training. And there's just not much meat on the plate, if you know what I'm saying. (laughs) You know what I mean? They're they're just throwing shit out there to see whether it sticks. Or, Or they do the study of one kind of thing where like do as I do, be as I am kind of thing. Yeah, and uh, you know that's great if you genetically blow in an eighty VO two score, and you know what I mean, and and you got you got slow twitch fibers coming out of your ears, but that's not me, and that's not you. It's you know, so you you have to wrangle the work, and you have to have a way or means to govern the intensity and chart it out that way. And that's that's what I love about what you're doing here, not just with this book, but with the previous book, is you're, you're getting people to end up going faster without killing themselves.
1: Yes. You know, at the end of the day, I I really just want to be right. You know, I don't, I don't, I I would much rather be right than have a shtick. Right. Um, But not everyone's like that. It's funny. You you just see how certain people will kind of set up shop with a shtick and they clearly don't really care whether they're right or not.
0: (laughs) Well, I think, you know, Here, by the way, it's funny you say that because I I think that uh, it's important to me that when I throw all this crap around that I throw around, that I'm confident that the information is solid. And there's some things that I'd like to be true, but I can't prove that they're true. Right. Yeah. So I'm pretty careful about when I start throwing that around. Uh-huh. And generally, if I even bring it up, I'll apologize. Mm-hmm. You, you know what I mean? I'll apologize up front and say, look, I don't know whether this is absolutely true, but damn, if it is, that's cool, right? Right. Um, but then you got guys who they'll... they'll, they'll They'll throw down hard over something that they haven't really got any any research to back up what they're saying. and or you know, their whole focus of the research is, I did it, it worked for me, so it's got to work for you. right and And this is, I think, where when you start separating the wheat from the chafe is that you start governing the work. And however you decide to to cut it up, the fact that you have principle, you have you're, you're following a particular process, And then it it kind of solves itself, right? So like what I like to do with people, and I don't know, I haven't dug deep enough into your book to see if you did it, but I love time trials. Yeah. uh, Because the time trials will tell you that, well, I've been following this for the last six weeks and I got worse, right? Right. Or or I got better. uh, Yeah. Or I didn't change. So then you got to start asking yourself some hard questions. Right. And- this is kind of where I, I, I end up having a little trouble with templates is that if if it just says, well, two plus two is going to be four and four plus four is going to be eight. And you start lending people down a path like that for 26 weeks and maybe they get 24 weeks down and they find out, jeez, I'm dying here. You know, nothing's yep. getting better. But you you can't get that 24 weeks back, right? Right. Right. So I think the concept of throwing in a really solid governor. And whether, you know, and I'm calling it a governor because I realized that in, in this case and in, in cases where triathlon and cycling are concerned, power is a big deal. People mm-hmm. people are not just lending it towards heart rate response. They're looking at power output. Yep. And now in the book, you've talked about power measurements for running. And, you know, I messed around with that for a while. Did you find something that was working?
1: Yeah, you know, I, I now I do. Coach a couple athletes who you know they're getting some traction, um and I, I have found that they're they're you know training by power in running is is pretty reliable uh for the the couple of athletes I coach who are doing it. Where um that's that's really what I want. Like I want to know, really, you know, when it comes down to as the coach is I, I'm I'm trying to be in control. <laughs> I'm trying to be. Right. So I need reliable information. I need to know that I can believe the the numbers I'm getting, and and I'm finding that uh, with certain athletes, it it helps me coach them uh, uh, effectively. Uh, so
0: what are we using for power?
1: Uh, most everyone seems to have the stride yeah. brand, yeah. yeah. Uh, but like I've got I've got a guy who um, who it's become he he's into all the gadgets, but you know it's become his primary metric for run training and i've sort of um at first i was a little cautious with it just i I didn't know how much i could trust it but i just got to the point where um there you get a little bit of funky things like when you'll buy a new pair of shoes and then everything's thrown off (laughs) so it's not it's not perfect nothing is you know neither is heart rate uh Right. So, you know, if you can account for those little wrinkles, uh, yeah, it's... um, I
0: I spent a lot of time trying to figure this out. Yeah. (laughs) And I had a sponsor that uh, was producing a power meter that, you know, I I had like 12 pairs of these insoles, right? Yeah. And people that follow my podcast will remember me banging the drum hard about this. (laughs) And I was chasing it down hard. And come to find out that the... The fly in the ointment is that the vertical displacement and the power leak that occurs when you're bouncing up and down, where in cycling, because it's linear, you know, right. it's very easy to measure and it's very predictable and very reproducible. But when you're, you're jostling your body all over the, uh, the place because it's open chain kinetic, you're not, you're not closed, you're not locking down to the ground. Right. It, it, you, there's some difficulty in trying to give a, a reasonable read from it. Now, right. obviously, you can get some comparative data that could be pretty reliable because if you run the way you run, and then you're comparing the power outputs between those different runs, then okay, maybe we can lean on that a little bit. But I, I just I just kind of resigned myself to not go down that path until. I can feel better about it. That's just me. Right. Ta- that's just me talking, and and you know, and I know that you and I have bantered back and forth about the unreliability of heart rate on occasion, but you got to have something. You need a metric, right? So I like yep. to, I like to try to look at a lot of stuff. I like to look at the pace, look at the elevation, the changes in the temperature, and you know, and then have this data spill out over time, so then you can start to develop a case, right? Yeah. Uh, as opposed to just saying, oh no, it's just this way. Well, yeah, and then then you have the issue with uh, you know the concept of how you're uh, issuing heart rate zones. Where I've got people that live very very comfortably in a very heavily lactate oriented training session. They just do a really good job of converting that lactate to usable fuel. Mm-hmm. And one of the guys that I knew that was really big with that is Johnny G, the guy that invented spinning. Yeah. The guy would, I don't know if you're aware of it, but once upon a time, I think it was 1989, um, he, 89 or 98 or something like that. But he had the record for the West Coast qualifier for RAM. And, you know, I've tested him five, six different times. And his threshold came in at about 140 beats per minute. Oh wow! And he said, he goes, dude, he goes, I spend seven hours at 160 beats per minute. How do you account for that? Right? Hmm. Right? Yeah. So, so what else is there? I mean, it's not like he's going to burn fat, right? It's right. Not, you know what I mean? So uh, anyway, I'm on, I'm on a tangent. I apologize. <laughs> but getting back to your book.
1: <laughs> <laughs> this happens every time.
0: I know. I know. But, it, you know, it's a lot of fun, man. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> Since, you know what it is? Is because I'm a student of the art like you are. And so, you know, the books are great. And the consumer is picking this up, going to go, wow, all I got to do, this all makes perfect sense and this will help me get to where I want to go. And it does. But I'm like beyond that. I'm I'm thinking about all the stuff that you're thinking about when you write this book, right? Yeah. And I apologize again. I didn't mean to take it. So you got this, you got this set up where you got like Iron Man distance, level zero, level one, and so on and so forth. So a person could potentially say, you know what? the year that Matt does his Ironman, I'm doing it too. Mm -hmm. And I'm following his templates. So in essence, they could follow this from day one, right on through till their race. And you've got a template that'll carry on there, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, funny, you bring that up. So I'm going to be actually blogging. Well, I, I, I log all my training on the final surge website. You are familiar with that? Um, it's yeah. more, it's more of a running thing, but they're trying to, but anyway, um, yeah, I, I log my training there and, um, I'm actually having it all skinned all nice and I'll be promoting it. So people can l- literally follow, you know, day by day, the training I'm doing and, uh, at the same time follow a plan from the book or whatever. So there's kind of, we can all just take this journey together.
0: You put a lot of pressure on yourself.
1: Yeah, but I like that.
0: (laughs) That's a motivator,
1: right? Yeah, I did the same thing, uh, you know, when I was in Flagstaff with my, you know, the, the running bum is what I called myself for that experiment. And, you know, that was very public. You know, I was publicly training with, you know, these elite athletes half my age for the Chicago Marathon. And, you know, and I've crashed and burned in plenty of marathons. So it was a high wire act. <laughs>
0: yeah, But you did pretty well, though. You broke three hours for that, right?
1: Uh, yeah, you could say that. 2.46, yeah. something like that, wasn't it? Uh, 2.39. Ooh,
0: wow. That's even faster than I thought.
1: 2.39. For an old yeah.
0: man, that's, would you, you win your age group?
1: No. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> no. check this out. So, you know, I had this, I had this sort of, you know, I was—you can't control who shows up. I mean, it's the Chicago Marathon. For crying out loud, you know. So I had a time goal. I wanted to break 2:40. I did, um, but I also—I had a sort of a B goal of not being beaten by anyone who was older than me, yeah. uh, which I couldn't entirely control. So um, I think three people who were older than me beat me. Uh, one of them was this 54-year-old guy who ran 2:28. Wow. But he was, he he used to be the world champion in the marathon. When he was in his twenties, he ran two oh eight. Wow! <laughs> so wow. what are you going to do? I mean,
0: <laughs> wow! Just your luck. Right? And
1: Chris Chris Lee was there, the the triathlete. He wow. he's a year younger than me, but he's in my age group, and he he beat me too. So it's like there there were some ringers there.
0: Wow, that's not fair.
1: Well, it's fair.
0: So like on the topic of this marathon thing, I got a question for you. Yes. Well, we're going to circle back to this book before it's over. I know we will. (laughs) But um, a friend of mine got a hold of me yesterday. And he was sitting with his dad. And now this guy's a pretty well-recognized athlete. And he's a big guy. He's like, uh, on average, he rolls at about 205. Sometimes, depending on how his training's going, he gets down to about 195. But... He said, he's thinking about trying to get a Guinness Book of World Records. Do you know of anybody that has run like 240, over 200 pounds? No.
1: I know someone who ran 228 at 187
0: pounds. It's not the same thing.
1: Nope. I'm just, that's, I'm just yeah, yeah, yeah. racking my brain. No, uh, I started
0: looking, I started looking online to see if I could find it. And I didn't find anybody That, I mean, it didn't even show fastest marathon over 200 pounds. That's what I was looking for. But I have somebody that feels pretty confident that he can run right around 240, maybe less at 200 pounds.
1: Yeah, that'd be interesting. I uh, I do, I'll have to check. I, I know this guy that James McCurdy coaches who is built like a brick s house he might be close to 200 pounds but i can't remember and he's around that time range but that's got to be somewhere close to a record you know what i mean if he if he can he can seriously do that
0: yeah uh, well i think just my my take on it is the weight's just going to be too much yeah i I just think that's the problem it's just you just too much mass too many calories being put out too much heat being produced to create that kind of an outcome and he didn't like hearing me say that. And he's probably pissed off at me still. But, um, you know, I tell it like it is. I just I just found that it, it's now I've, I've been on I've tested this guy and I've been on my bike next to him and at 160 beats per minute, his fat utilization is about 66 percent. And I was on my bike next to him, tracking his heart rate and his pace. And he ran just shy of a six minute pace for 13 miles. Mm hmm. Which is pretty much what you need to be able to do for the entire yeah. marathon,
1: right? Right,
0: and you got to run six six minute mile to get two forty six, right? Something
1: like that. No, six minute miles would get you two thirty seven. Ah, you would know. I would. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's impressive, though, for your age. It's pretty good, man.
1: Yeah, you know, but you're right. You're right about weight, though, in running is is that's one of those things that you maybe wish weren't true, but is you know. Uh, you know, I, I've I've raced at 150 pounds forever, but after 13 weeks in Flagstaff with those pros, I raced Chicago at 141, and I, I oh, felt man. like a a strong gust of wind would just send me sailing, like I would just blow away.
0: You're over six foot though, aren't you?
1: Yeah, yeah, that that's that's pretty skinny. <laughs> Ch-
0: can I just tell you something? Chicks hate that. That's way too skinny for a century. I know,
1: I know. My my wife feels like I did such a bait and switch on her because I was like 165 pounds when we met and then I just emaciate myself after it's too (laughs) late for her to back out. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think my wife would kind of appreciate it, quite frankly, if I was to do it. Let's talk about your book again. You know, you have a whole bunch of ways to determine these heart rate parameters for each event. Talk to me about the swimming a little bit. That's something that I think would be pretty fresh, your approach there. And I know that you alluded to the fact that being in a pool and training, that you're kind of oriented towards a particular distance and in the intervals and such. But how do you kind of determine what kind of intensity to follow in the pool?
1: Yeah, so I mean, we recommend using pace in the pool. So, I mean, everything is everything is contingent on the results of lactate threshold tests. So you do, you test on the, in the water, on the bike and on the run, you have to, you have to, you know, it's separate zones for separate disciplines. Uh, Um, and you know, on, on bike, we, we love power, uh, heart rate works fine on the bike too. Um, there's always a role for perceived effort, but, um, you know that's not going to be your primary metric, but in the pool, pace really is um, still pretty much the standard. So we 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 just uh, <clears throat> discuss protocols for uh, lactate threshold tests in the pool, where you find your uh, lactate threshold pace in uh, you know minutes and seconds per 100 yards or meters if you're a European. Uh, and then your zones fall out from that. Um, we have a handy online calculator that you can find at uh, 8020endurance.com. So what all you have to do is you don't have to do any math yourself. You just find your lactate threshold heart rate or power or pace, plug it into the calculator, and it gives you your zones, and then you're you're good to go.
0: Okay, so let me better understand this. I know that on the bike you would sustainable pace for X amount of time, Similar to what you might do running, and then based on that you derive kind of a baseline. Uh, is it similar in the pool? So would you like go for say a 20 minute effort, and then whatever your sustainable pace was for that 20 minute effort?
1: Yeah, you- yeah. There there are two different protocols we we share. One is the that classic uh, double time trial. Um, uh, it's a you know a 400. 400 yard time trial followed by a 200 yard time trial and you do a little bit of math that one it has a good pedigree but it doesn't typically work great for poor swimmers um, it can give you a skewed result so the alternative is just a 1000 yard time trial which is pr- pretty reliable okay uh, and
0: yeah. then I guess since we're there on the bike how do you approach it
1: 30 minute time trial
0: okay same thing running yep Okay, then it's, you do do a couple of them?
1: Uh, well, yeah, we recommend that you repeat them every six weeks or so. Okay. Uh, yeah. All right, cool. And that, I mean, you said you're a fan of time trialing, and that's basically what you're doing. Um, right. you, know, it's, you, you can call it a, a threshold test, or you can call it a time trial, but that's what you're doing. Well,
0: yeah, so you're just doing it a different way. For You're, yeah. you're, you're doing the time trial to arrive at a conclusion. Uh, I'm doing a time trial to validate what we concluded before we did the time trial. <laughs> Right. (laughs) It's a difference. But well, cool. We talked about going to give a couple of these books away. So I think what we do is, uh, how do you want to do this? I was thinking about having them go on to my podcast site, naturalrunningnetwork.com and dropping me a comment about the podcast. And they qualify as potentially somebody that's going to get a book. But I think they should also visit you because, you know, you are the guy, you wrote the book. Um, so any thoughts on how you'd like to have them approach you so that we could decide who gets to have a book?
1: I mean, we can keep it simple and just have them do just what you said. Um, I, I'm i not, I like people to visit me and my sites. Okay, so let's do that. Deal.
0: All right, so did, we're going to give three away, right? Yep. All right, so three books are going to be given away. Now, are we going to give them this one, or do they have a choice of one of your other books? You got twenty-four books, right? Something like that.
1: Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I already put the wheels in motion for this one. So okay. I, con- I contacted right. the publisher. They've they've put up three copies. So. Okay. Uh, All
0: right. Yeah. Well, this is a great book, and I think that I would recommend this book regardless as to whether someone was going to do a triathlon or not, because the information relative to Partitioning the energy systems and how you should approach your training, there's a ton of real, really, really reliable and good information in here. And you've always, as you know, God, it sounds like you know, like we're dating or something. I said, but you know, you've always, you know, I've always told you this, and I and I believe it to be true. You do the due diligence, you get really solid information, you do the research, and you throw it out there, so you're not just talking smack. And uh, I think that people appreciate that. I know I do.
1: Yeah, well, thank you for that. And I I do agree that, um, you know, the 80-20 principle, if you're any, an endurance athlete of any description, uh, the principle applies. Um, So, yeah, you don't have to be a triathlete per se to get something out of it.
0: Nope. All right. Well, uh, so what's next? Can we talk about that real quick?
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, Writing wise, athletically.
0: Well, you know, I mean, you're going to get older and, you know. Yeah, you know this. This I'm really. By the way, I'm impressed. Two thirty-seven,
1: nine. Two thirty-nine. you're all well, over awesome you, the place.
0: Well, you said two thirty-seven a minute ago was the six-minute pace, right? So yes. you missed it by two minutes,
1: <laughs> or five seconds per mile. <laughs> <laughs> you
0: or twenty-three seconds on a on a Ironman is. <laughs> you,
1: you know. What, you know what's funny though is like the uh, so you know I had a coach out there in Flagstaff, so I just did what he said and. You know, he's used to you know, elite athletes. He's right. usually coaching two twelve guys. Right. Um, and so he had a hard time figuring me out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it was just this moving target. But by the end of it, he felt like, okay, I know I, I know this athlete. And he said, Your target pace is six oh five. So that's I'm sure you can do it. And so I ran the marathon and my average pace was six oh five point zero two two seconds per
0: mile. He nailed it.
1: Yeah, he, he's a really good coach, Ben Rosario. Wow,
0: uh, Yeah. Wow, that's awesome. <laughs> wow. Okay, so we were saying that uh, writing-wise, what, what's next?
1: Um, so I've got uh, a couple, uh, I guess, memoirs or narrative nonfiction books in the pipeline. One is called Life is a Marathon. That comes out next March. And then I'm also writing one called The Running Bum about my Flagstaff experience. And that'll be probably a spring 2020 deal.
0: And will that be twenty five and twenty six? Was I right about the number of books?
1: Uh, I, you you might know better than I do. I don't, you forget. I don't, I don't know for sure
0: <laughs> you know, can I tell you how many I wrote? One yes. one and a half.
1: One plus fifty pages.
0: <laughs> well, what one and I did another one that was a little that wasn't in color, so that's still one. is cheaper and wasn't in color. And then the, this one, uh, actually, I'm, I, I like where this is going. I think it's going to be good. I mean, you know, you, you, you know me, I've been, I've been, you know, win, lose, or draw. I've tested a bazillion athletes. Yep. I literally have tested a bazillion athletes. <laughs> so I, I'm just like, I'm a witness. I'm watching stuff happen. Right. And, and so I, I draw conclusions based on what I've been doing. Right. And I can, I could support it with data where I don't know too many people that have, Tested as many people as I have. Yeah. So uh, I, I have something to write about. It's just Definitely. I'm just just a terrible writer. That's all.
1: That's well, all. I'm rooting. I'm rooting for you. Thank you,
0: man. You know, I would love for you to write it for me. At least kind yeah. of. I will tell you what, I'll will set you up in a hotel room and we'll we'll drink wine and we'll just. <laughs> you know, you know how you do it? Like twenty minutes, you got it knocked out, right?
1: Yeah. Well. I, every man has his price so we can talk further <laughs> offline.
0: All right. Listen, Matt, thank you so much. And, uh, just to kind of, we're all over the map here, but let's just say this, visit mattfitzgerald.org and say, wow, Matt, why did you put up with Richard for an hour on a podcast where all we really want to do is get a copy of your great book? <laughs> or okay. you could come to my site, natural running network and say, Wow. Matt missed qualifier for Iron Man's World Championships <laughs> by 23 seconds. How does he live with himself?
1: Right. I'm so, not going to listen to that guy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I need those 23 seconds. I'm not going to pay attention to him. <laughs> uh, but either way, just kind of visit one of one or the other or, or both. And, um, you know, he'll pick somebody, I'll pick somebody, and, and uh, you'll get a copy of this great book. And once again, it's called 80-20 triathlon. Uh, by the way, we never talked about David Warden.
1: I know. That's wrong.
0: I know it's wrong. So let's bring it up. Who's David Warden?
1: He's my co-author. Uh, he's a triathlon coach based in uh, Utah. Really, really sharp dude. Um, and yeah, really, this was a 50-50 uh, endeavor. Uh, he, he, he's, he's, we're very complimentary. Uh, he, like, he's a real analytical uh, numbers oriented dude. Um, he'll hate me. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I love, him. I'm, I'm more like you. So yeah. But when someone, when you can count on someone to like carry his share of the burden in a project like this, you love him.
0: <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. I'd imagine. I'd like yeah. somebody to carry any part of my burden. Right. <laughs> but listen, I, I appreciate having you back. And, uh, I'll look forward to having you back when you write the the book about being a bum and stuff.
1: Very good. Thanks so much, Richard. All right. Take care, buddy.
0: Well, friends, it's time to bring another show to a close. Be sure and tune in to us next week. We've got a lot of great content in store for you. I want you to tell your friends to check us out. You can always find us on Facebook. Simply go search the Natural Running Network. Drop us a message. I'd love to learn more about you and the things you do. And until then, you have an amazing day.